dude. I think we are live. Ready to go? Man, we were in here early. This is this is a little a little change of pace. Early early Friday morning. I like it. Post cardio workout. Did yeah. you eat breakfast in between? I did. Need to fuel. What'd up. you have? Some toast. A uh, toast? Yeah, just a real basic blend. Yeah. <laughs> toast. Straight carbs. Of course. Are you a breakfast eater or not? Not normally. Most of the time. You really not? No, really, really not normally. What about Chloe? Yeah, Chloe is. Chloe's very structured, very routine. What about you? Dude, I'm a breakfast guy. Every day? Every day. What do you normally have? Uh, I think normally eggs. Okay. I think I, I, I think I have at least four eggs every day. Gosh. Most of the time at breakfast, but sometimes, you know, just, for lunch. Just or maybe the day? Yeah. <laughs> Just as you just as you have the inclination to have an egg, you'll just yeah. stop what you're doing. Yeah. Cook up an egg. Fried eggs. I, I never make scrambled eggs. No. Fried eggs is the way to go. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, thanks for joining in uh, with us this morning. Uh, we are the Reformed Informants, and this is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. Again, alongside me, TJ Darty. Darty party. Nailed it. Um, man, I'm fired up to be back in the studio. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to what we've got uh, on the horizon as we continue through our uh, theology proper series. Um, so you want to recap us at least on yeah. where we started last time? That's that's probably a good idea. Um, so yeah, we started this as our second mini-series um, as we work our way through um, some of the key... Um, doctrines of systematic theology, and we began with a bibliology series, and now we have shifted to discussing theology proper. And again, theology proper, uh, that designation is to uh, focus on a study of God, and it's to distinguish between general theology and just a particular focus on God himself. And so as we've uh, began the study of the uh, theology proper, the study of God and who God is, we began with the being of God, who who God is, the names of God, um, the, the way in which God manifests himself as spirit. And so that's how we began. And now we're in our second episode related to that. Where are we going next? Yeah, so this episode, we're going to take a look at uh, the attributes of God. And just we're just gonna. I don't. I mean, it's a it's a brief overview. Right. I mean, I, I think we can at least use this as an entry point to say, look, we're not gonna go through every single one of God's attributes. We don't want this to turn into some sort of a, a lecture type yeah. series or a lecture type episode. Uh, but we want to identify um, at least categories that you could break up God's attributes into, and then mm-hmm. you know just pick an attribute or two. Uh, to help define those different categories. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point. Um, we don't want this to be l- lecture hall. We don't want this to be um, just overkill, even though there's great richness, right? Like you and I discussed this. We could have easily done an entire episode on each of these attributes. Um, you, you mentioned sermon series. You could do sermons on each of the attributes of God because there's so much uh, richness. There's so much depth to actually mine out. Uh, regarding each of these attributes and of course the list that we may present today is not exhaustive it's just it's just a way to get us thinking about the attributes related to who god is the character of god himself yeah yeah as paul washer travels the globe um and is around many different churches many different preachers uh he basically begs and calls for more pastors 
preachers and teachers to teach on the attributes of God. We, we need more of the attributes of God, uh, not less. So don't think, right, right. <laughs> since we just said we're only going to look at a couple of the attributes, that we are somehow contradicting ourselves. Um, but I think we had already agreed beforehand that we'll come back and revisit some of these attributes mm-hmm. as we work our way through the yeah, podcast. Yeah, and if there's anything that grabs your attention or that, that you think would be worth um, deeper study or something that you would want to you know, reach out to us, let us know. We'd love to to hone in on a particular attribute or, or answer any questions related to them. Um, but Lance, you, you mentioned we need more. Why? Why do we study the attributes of God? What what benefit does this have for us? Yeah, well, we said that the gospel starts with God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel starts with God. That's where Scripture uh, begins. That's where Scripture ends. Um, so studying and understanding the attributes or the properties or the characteristics of the nature of God is essential in unfolding the gospel plan. Mm-hmm. It's essential in unfolding the gospel narrative. We have to start with God. Um, and what he has revealed in his character to understand who it is that we worship and to see whether or not this plan of salvation is like a legitimate, mm-hmm. real thing. Yeah, I, l- I loved how you said that, that this is how God has revealed himself. This is, uh, we are trying to uncover and unpack the God whom we worship. I mean, that's exactly what theology is. That's the whole theological endeavor that we have embarked upon, that we continue to study. And part of the reason why we've done a theology proper series is to say, let's focus in on who God is and look at his character, his person, um, before we look at his work, you know, we have to look at the person of God and the um, who who God himself is. Um, Louis Burkhoff has this uh, awesome quote. I love the way that he says this, because when we start to think about the attributes of God, we are immediately going to, there's a disconnect. Um, he says, the being of God is characterized by a depth and a fullness and a variety and a glory far beyond our comprehension. That's scary. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's incredible. It's very humbling. He says, for the finite cannot comprehend the infinite. So uh, right there with that statement, we recognize the disconnect between us and God. God is far above. He's far, he, he's infinite. And so w- there's an incomprehensibility to this. But insofar as God reveals himself, Burkhoff continues, in his attributes, we also have some knowledge of his divine being, though even so, our knowledge is subject to human limitations. So this kind of, I think, takes us back to what we talked about, the limitations of systematic theology. And, but, but God has revealed himself, and he has given us a picture of who he is. So in studying these attributes, we are coming to worship God more fully, because we are unpacking who God really, really is. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let, let's define now uh, what we're going to talk about mainly uh, this episode: the the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Brown, a 18th century Scottish preacher, he he defines the attributes of God as the attributes, perfections, or the excellencies of God are the essential and absolutely inseparable properties of His spiritual substance or nature. Okay, so when we're looking at the attributes of God or the property, I think Burkhoff also calls the attributes of God the properties of God, if I read that correctly. The attributes of the properties of God are what make up his nature. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Um, 
And if we have the attributes wrong, then we have God wrong. That That's really good. I'm glad you said that, too. That's a really important component to this is trying to understand that we are seeking to uncover. It's like if, you, if you're getting to know me, there are certain parts of my personality that if you don't really grasp those things, you don't really know me. Like you might kind of have an idea of what you think about me, or, but until you understand that these uh, characteristics really define me, you don't truly know me. In the same way, if we don't understand these characteristics, these um, attributes or, or uh, the person of God himself, if we miss this, we don't really know him. So I think that's a really, really important uh, part of this understanding. Of why are we studying these and, and what benefit um, do they have for us? Yeah. Should we quote the Westminster Catechism or no? I, I, you're never gonna you're never gonna hear me say no to quoting you want to quote it for us no 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 that's that's yours that's I'll me. let you have that one. okay well yeah the reason I, I put this in uh, our, our notes and in our outline here is because so many of the systematicians mention it mm. and Charles Hodge uh, that Princeton theologian mm. goes as far uh, to say that this is the greatest definition um, that has ever been pinned by man. Like mm. literally the definition that the uh, Westminster Catechism gives uh, may be the greatest of all time, yeah. you know, up until right. his point right. is kind of what he says. So the, the Westminster Catechism says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Mm. That's pretty good. That's incredibly, uh, incredibly powerful too. And and so you you think about these attributes, like the even those things that you just mentioned, those are those are characteristics and traits of God. Like that we are describing a God who is infinite, eternal, unchangeable. He's wise. He's powerful. He's holy. He's just. He's good. He's he's truthful. That's that's who God is. And so if you don't have those attributes marked out, delineated, understood, then you, you don't know God. Right. Like it's impossible to separate those things from him. Okay. Now. Yeah. We do run into a little bit of a problem here. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about, I was worried about this. (laughs) What, what's that? (laughs) The problem that we're going to run into (laughs) the classification of attributes. Yeah. 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 Um, so if you begin researching and looking through all the material written throughout the centuries, you're going to come across, um, different ways of categorizing or classifying uh, the attributes of God. Now, I think, generally speaking, um, all of God's attributes are defined and listed in all of these systematic theologies. The difference that you come across is how are they classified? Yeah. How are they organized? What is the best possible way to organize God? Okay, yeah. so there's uh, clearly there's difficulties in that. So you, you want to kind of run us through a few of those or some of the problems or issues? Yeah, yeah. well, even before we, we look at some of the different attempts at classification, why do we even classify? Well, I, I think there's a reason for it because if we don't, what you end up with is just a just a uh, massive collection, right? Of And it's even going to feel like that to us within these classifications. There's so many. How do you characterize God? Well, systematic theology is going to seek to do it in an organized way yeah. so that it makes sense for us, right? Like, otherwise, it's just going to be so much that we can't wrap our minds around it. Yeah, it's for the purpose of organizing yes. what we know about God. Right. And it gives us a category to think about Him uh, in a way that, that 
because we're dealing with an infinite God and we are so finite, the limitation, we're trying to basically limit the uh, effect of that limitation. Right. Right. Like, so, okay, so, so classifications, there's no right or wrong. I, I guess there's probably wrong ways to do it, but there, but these, uh, traditional approaches to classifying the attributes of God um, all have their merit, uh, but different different system, uh, systematicians throughout history have, have classified the attributes of God as those which are relative, those which are absolute, uh, those which are uh, moral or natural might be another distinction between them. Some theologians will talk about the positive attributes of God, like these are the things that he is, the negative and separate those from the negative attributes. These are the things he is not. So in other words, he is free from sin. He is, uh, but on the positive side, he is perfectly holy. Like those are the two different ways of talking about the same aspects. Of I God. think that that one bugs me because I just don't even want the word negative. Yeah, like in I know. The same- in the I, same sentence, I as felt God. like I had to explain myself. Yeah. When I said the positive and negative. Like I, I, re- I reject the positive negative <laughs> classification. So, so you, you would say there is a wrong way to do it. Yeah, neg- I mean, negative. Yeah, at least yeah. with that one. Yeah. I, I, don't, I mean, I understand obviously right. what, what they're saying and what they're doing with the positive negative. But there's know, a, there's a shortcoming. There's a reason why you and I have chosen not to use that designation, and not that we're authorities, but we are reading through and we've we've delve through quite a few uh, theologies as we've looked at this. Um, the same way I would reject um, moral and natural. Like I think that just sometimes that word moral suggests that if there's a category that's moral, then there's a category that's immoral or amoral. Like yeah. I, I would struggle with it. Well, we've, so, we've said from the beginning definition of terms and mm-hmm. understanding what terms mean. And those words are slowly, yeah. you know. They're changing. Being muddied yeah. and, yeah. you know, changing and. Yes. So uh, uh, another, I think, helpful one, uh, Millard Erickson actually uses this one, is the greatness and goodness of God. The greatness being those things which are beyond comprehension and uh, outside of human capacity. And goodness is more so the way he relates to his people and I, his I creation. I really like that that's one. A, that's a I good really, way to think about it. It's simple. It, it's it is. really simple. That's a, that's a good that's a good term to describe that. It is, it is a straightforward and simple and easily designated uh, distinction between them. Um, but the more traditional um, reformed theological approach is to talk about the communicable and the incommunicable attributes. In many ways, this is mirroring greatness and goodness. Right, like incommunicable attributes are those things which are beyond comprehension. Those are the things which are um, that that emphasize the absoluteness of God. Um, there's no human equivalent, basically. And communicable attributes are those things which sees how or, or speaks of how God relates to His creation. Yeah, yeah what think, would you? What yeah, would you add I think, to that? Yeah, I think again, uh, along with the greatness and the goodness, the incommunicable and communicable attributes. You can almost you, you can almost see the definition within the term, mm-hmm. right? So the incommunicable attributes of God are the perfections that he has that have no resemblance whatsoever in mankind, mm. right? I'm not omnipresent. Right. I'm just not right. as much as... And there's nothing to relate to that. Like, we, we can't look and say, oh, God is like this thing in that he is omnipresent. Well, there's right. nothing else like that. That's right. only God. Um, whereas maybe something on the more communicable side, we could say, oh, God is uh, loving. Well, yeah, we, we have an aspect of love within our nature and our beings, so we can relate to that. It's communicable in that sense. It's it's. So I, I think that there's yeah. a helpful distinction that's yeah, right there. Yeah, so to a lower degree, yes. you know, I, I can know and understand and experience 
um, love. Yeah. Uh, for yeah. for example. Right. But you have no category for understanding omnipresence. So, no, I don't I do, think so. No, I do not. <laughs> uh, nor do I with omniscience. Right. 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 I, yeah. So. Exactly. Same type of thing. Okay. Um, so one last little term, kind of definition, maybe that we need to work through um, here, just briefly and quickly, would be divine simplicity. Yeah. When the world is that? Why are we talking about God being simple? What What, what do we mean by that? Well, divine simplicity. This This term. It, it, there's a reason why I think it's worth talking about, and that's because sometimes, whether we mean to or not, we might picture like we're building a puzzle together to figure out who God is, and we take all of these attributes and put them together. We have now built up a God who now has these things. And if you were to take one of them away, the whole uh, puzzle or the whole structure would fall apart. But God is not like that. He's not a combination of attributes. God is himself simple, meaning that he's not a combination of things. He's not, it's not that you put love and mercy and kindness and omniscience together and you've made God. Right. Right. Like yeah. God is just God. Yes. Yeah. So we're saying that his being, mm-hmm. his essence is absolutely every one of these attributes, but, but we're not adding to that or taking away. God didn't somehow become omniscient or mm-hmm. become omnipresent. This is part of his eternality. This is part of his character and who, who he is. And you can't, it, those things can't be divided. Like you can't separate one from the other because it's part of God. Well, yeah, that, that'll come into our next episode when we talk mm-hmm. about the Trinity. Mm-hmm. You know, the Trinity isn't divided. Right. In other words, right. Each member of the Trinity isn't one-third of God. Right. And so, in other words, when we talk about divine simplicity, we're saying this is not a—God is not made up of a combination of all of these attributes, but rather these attributes are a description that flow out of who God is. So it's it's a there, it's a subtle distinction, but it's an important distinction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's let's roll through. Let's talk about—now, we, we've already mentioned—you uh, and I talked about this. We spent— we spent more time prepping for this episode than an average episode and still feel like we were inadequately prepared because there's so much. Yeah, right? we could have we prepped for months and then we could literally make one episode per attribute and be completely fine yeah. doing that. And, and easily those could be 45 minutes to an hour long and we would not even exhaust the biblical text or the philosophical thoughts that go into each of these divine attributes because the magnificence or the greatness of God is so, uh, it, 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 he's infinite. And so to to consider one attribute um, would, would take so much time to really dive into it, right? So, so, but we're not going to do that um, for the you're, sake. You're welcome. Yeah, for the you're sake welcome. of the listener, <laughs> and maybe for the sake of our listening audience, uh, we we wanted to rather kind of give a cursory overview, touch base. We've, we've kind of talked about why we study the attributes, but but let's let's hone in, um, look at one of the classifications. Where you want to start? Incommunicable. Yeah, let, let's okay. start there. Okay, let's let's look at the incommunicable attributes. Let's kind of give a a flyby of a handful of them, and then let's pick one and talk about what makes this incommunicable and describe what we mean when we use the, the term. Is that, does yeah, that sound like yeah. a decent plan? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Look, we can start with God being omnipresent, mm-hmm. God being present everywhere, um, omnipotent, you know, God is all-powerful, uh, omniscient, God knows all things. Okay, so when we're talking about incommunicable attributes, again, those are things that are solely 
stamped on the character mm-hmm. and nature of God. Mm-hmm. My relation to those things as a creature is non-existent. Right. Okay. Right. Non-existent. You're completely subject to God in those regards. You don't. You don't come alongside Him. Right. Him. Yeah. Right. Um. I mean, we could also throw in there God's sovereignty, mm-hmm. uh, God's eternality, um, Him being um, before Genesis 1 right. and after Revelation 22, right? right. right. Um, I, I was no, not there. There's no concept of even before Genesis 1, which is mind-blowing. Sure. Right? Like, there's no such thing as before time began, because yeah. there is no time before time began. Well, it's but, beautiful. Yeah, but He's yeah. eternal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... I mean, we're, we're trying to tackle God here. Exactly. I mean, it's like, exactly. you know, even bouncing, you know, statements off of one another, it's so easy to rabbit trail mm-hmm. down to mm-hmm. talking about God's existence before Genesis 1. How is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and even another another attribute of God is his independence or his self-existence. Like, we came into being just like everything else in this world by means of the creative act of God himself, but God is not created. And we even touched on this in our, I think the hermeneutics episode, we talked about Jesus not being created, that he is eternal um, as a member of the Trinity, but that he didn't come from God. He, he is God. And whereas you and I and everything else that we see, every um, everywhere else that we look, that's that's just part of... That's part of what came from God himself. Yeah. But God is distinct from that. Yeah. Man, I remember uh, just as a little kid thinking about that. You know, of course, I still can't wrap my mind around it, you know, uh, completely and wholly, but clearly there's been a lot of maturity and growth since I was, you know, 9, 10 years old. But I remember thinking back, you know, how... How is it possible that God was in existence, you know, before right. uh, creation? But that's the God we serve and worship. That's right. And that's what Scripture says. That's why we believe that. That's right. And that's that's a, a good point, too. Every single one of these attributes that we just listed did not come from a textbook or from my mind. Like, these come out of the Word of God. Um, take the time. Find those things in Scripture. You, most of them we read through, and we kind of we already have a category because we know who God is. We know that God is omnipresent, but there are verses that speak of His presence throughout all of the earth, His eyes over all the earth. Um, that case, the case for His these attributes are not just things that we came up with, right? Like these come from the text uh, of Scripture itself. Um, but let's let's talk about one individual um, attribute. Let's talk about the immutability of God, that God is unchanging. And let's talk about what that means and how that is classified and why that is classified as a, um, as a incommunicable attribute. Okay, so when I use the word immutable, what do, what do I mean? What does this mean when we describe God? Well, I mean, yeah, it means that God's person, God's character, His essence, it, there, there is no change in Him. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I've changed since we started this podcast. Yeah, you just talked about your change from nine years old. Right. Right? Like, you've, you've matured and developed, and, and yeah, you've changed since you started. That's part of who we are. Yeah, we're, we're physically speaking, mm-hmm. mentally, you know, I've grown in knowledge. I mean, the, the list goes on and on of the changes. Grown in that, strength over at the Darty CrossFit yeah, garage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Working yeah. out with this guy. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want to see gains, yeah, right? That's what, yeah, that's why we do it. <laughs> yeah, but with with God from eternity past to eternity future, there isn't the tiniest bit of change in any aspect 
uh, of his character, nature, being mm-hmm. essence. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just absolute. It's remarkable. It is. It's beautiful. It is. Uh, think about what what the Bible says on this subject, right? Uh, Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, James one seventeen. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No variation. None. Uh, Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. What he says stands forever. So there's no change when he makes a promise. This is important for us. When he makes a promise, he does not change. He doesn't change his mind. He does not uh, change his approach or change his um, thoughts regarding, like his counsel stands forever. Malachi 3, 6, for God says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Yeah. It's a direct declaration from God himself. Well, I mean, that's why we believe in the eternal word of mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. The The eternal word of God is coming forth from an eternal God who doesn't change. So we believe that his word, even yeah. in and of itself, does not change. Right. Uh, Ephesians 2, 6, uh, Paul tells us that we have been seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. And, and Romans 8.30 says that we have been glorified. Well, those have not actually happened yet. Like, those are future events, but right. they're so certain that they're going to happen, and that, that certainty is rooted in not only the faithfulness of God, or the but the fact that God doesn't change. Like, God himself, when he makes a statement, it can't, it can't be errant, it can't vary because of his perfection, but it can't change it can't he can't undo what he has already promised to do because his nature is immutable yeah and and the evidence for this in scripture again tj just rolled off five or six verses here but we're we're talking about the overwhelming Mm -hmm. argument of scripture consistently old and new testament is that god cannot change he is immutable Um, and then just practically speaking here Let's just say, hypothetically, uh, that God uh, does change. Well, that would tell us that his nature beforehand wasn't perfect, that there were imperfections or flaws, and that he that he's having to change something about himself to improve himself, mm. uh, which, again, you're running far, far from the scriptures if you Mm. think that the God of the Bible is making changes to his nature, to his essence, making changes to his word, Mm. or making changes to his promises. We've got a huge problem, huge problem, if if God has the ability and the capacity uh, to change. That's that's such a good word, man. Like, if, if there's change, it means, like you said, that he was either imperfect and he is now becoming perfect or becoming perfecter, um, improving, or he was perfect and he's somehow devolving and becoming less perfect. And that's a scary thought. Like the perfection of God is on the line if God were to change. And that's such, that's such a good point. Um, and, and we don't, I don't really want to get into the arguments of process theology or open theism, but this idea, and it's out there that God is learning or figuring things out along the way. It's an, it's an imperfect God. It's not the God of scripture. Um, and that's such a good word for us to know that we can base our understanding of the immutability of God on the perfection of God. Yeah, absolutely. It's built into that. Yeah. It has to be. Look, numbers 23, 19 says God is not man. Mm. In, in, in other words, experiences, um, my thinking events, 
things that I'm exposed to, people that I'm around. Emotion. Emotion. Mm -hmm. All of those things factor in to who I am, and I'm constantly being changed by the things that are around me. Right. God is not affected one bit as far as his nature in regards to any event, any circumstance, any person, any anything. Yeah. He's not like us in that area. Yeah, Psalm 102 uh, says, They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will remain. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, for your years have no end. There's a contrast. That's why I think it's uh, this is helpful for us to think about. This is an incommunicable attribute. This is part of the greatness of God because we don't relate to that. He is distinct from man in that regard. We have no care. We have we have no way of classifying or understanding immutability, unchangeableness. We ourselves are creatures marked by constant change, as you said. That's part of what makes us. We 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 are changing physically. We are changing emotionally. We are changing mentally. Uh, we're changing psychologically. All of those um, developments, um, improvements, or backtracks, or whatever might be happening, th- those things, those things define us as men, as as human, as humanity. But God, God doesn't have a bad day and impulsively react like he just he just is. Right. It's a steady, immutable hand. That, that sits upon the throne. And th- this is why we worship Him. That's right. And this is why we worship Him alone. That's right. Right? I mean, this is this is who God is. This is why He is worthy of our worship. He, he is far beyond, far mm-hmm. beyond humanity in this regard. And He deserves every bit of our worship. Be- because I mean, this is just one attribute, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, and we're just touching the surface on this attribute. Right. But at least it gives us a glimpse a small glimpse of uh, his value mm-hmm. and, and and what he is worth. Okay, let's let's shift gears because you you just mentioned hey this is just one attribute, um, but this is part of the transcendence right like God is above and and greater than and magnified uh, over his creation, but let's take a, a little bit of a, a transition and look at some of the communicable or goodness attributes, some of the things that in which God is consistent or relatable to man, although we are at a far lesser degree, but we have a way to communicate some of these attributes. So let's talk about some of them. Um, and these attributes um, kind of focus on his eminence, his relationship with creation. Like he's not just a God who transcends all of creation, uh, the God of deism, right, who created the world and stepped away, and he has no interaction with his creation, but rather this is a way in which we can see his interactions with us. So let's talk about some of those attributes. Yeah, well, God, we would say God is a relational God, mm-hmm. right? So in his communicable attributes, he, he has made himself relational to sinful humanity. Again, I, I mean, there's another reason to honor and worship and, and praise God, because he he, he has stepped into um, relationship with humanity, um, and when we see that in communicable attributes. Mm-hmm. So we could talk about God and his faithfulness, his goodness, uh, his grace, his mercy, um, e- even his wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
and this isn't an exhaustive list. I don't even think we put an exhaustive list on our own outline. Here, no, right? <laughs> no. Um, but these are at least the more common ones that you you would come across in systematic theologies, and probably most of these are at least recognizable. Yeah, I mean, to these, some degree, these are things that we are familiar with just as we read the scriptures. I mean, how could you possibly expose yourself to the Word of God and not come across the idea that God is faithful, God is good, He is merciful, He is gracious, like those things just ooze out of the scriptures, right? Like, like of course, we're going to be familiar with those things as long as we're in the Word of God. Uh, but these are classical, traditional, um, systematic um, categories or, or identification of the attributes of God. Um, again, not exhaustive, but it gives us a, a glimpse or a picture of some of those attributes. Um, where, where would you, f- uh, you know, we, we looked at immutability as an incommunicable attribute. Where should we go for a communicable attribute that maybe draws this out a little bit more? Yeah, I, th- I, I think that uh, the one that we kind of landed on to talk about, that way we can maybe clear up, yeah. you know, some misthinking and uh, some misunderstanding about it, was just talking about God uh, being love, right? God, God being love. His entire essence and nature and being is love, but that's also something uh, that humanity... Um, uh, can experience on a, on a day-to-day basis frequently, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of define what the Scripture says about God and His love. Well, we would start First uh, John chapter 4 that look, God is love, right? And you're, you're a math guy. What is, what is the, itch, the situation here with the word is? Are, like, you, are in, you thinking like an equal sign? Yes. That was, yeah. Read your mind. Feeling good about Really? Were, were you going to go there with that? I wasn't, but I'm I'm totally comfortable doing that uh, if we yeah. need to. Well, yeah, any, any, I don't even know why that makes me think of school, but it does when I when I think about God is love. I mean, again, when we're talking about the immutability of God, that is who He is. Well, God is also love, mm-hmm. right? Uh, running side by side with His immutability is that He is love. Yeah, and classic text, First John four eight, right? Like that comes directly out of the scriptures. Like we, you know, we're not we're not deducing that. That's a direct statement. And sometimes, um, I think, well intentioned. Some people think to say God is love is to say this is who God is, and the other attributes of God are just kind of secondary. That's not mm-hmm. really the case. Like I think we need to be careful just because the statement God equals love. Yeah, that's true. But God is all of these other things as well, right? Like the simplicity of God helps us recognize that all of the attributes of God are in play when we think about the love of God. Yeah, well, absolutely. So dealing with God being a loving God, that's the attribute that people want to snag and they mm-hmm. want to grab and say, look, this is, this is, this is God. This is who he is. And, and, and this and one it, overrides all the other attributes somehow. Right. Well, it's true that this is part of who he is right right? like and and we've even talked before like god's relationship within the trinity like this is this is the essence of god in himself like god love the father loves the son like that is a the son loves the father the spirit loves uh the the father and the son like that is part of god like you can't talk about god without talking about love but you use that word overrides where were you going with that before i cut you off yeah no you're good um, there, there's such a misrepresentation, I think, of God's love that is just, I mean, it's so pervasive uh, across 
I, I, I mean, I would argue obviously American Christianity, but 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 even worldwide, um, that this idea that because God is love and that's who He is, that that attribute alone overrides the rest of his character mm-hmm. um and i i think that that it, it's said that way so often because that's almost the feel-good message yeah. that you want to believe that god is that way you you are making god handle things like you would probably handle things mm-hmm. and i think the scripture warns us very clearly and strongly and often to not make God like us, mm-hmm. which we've already said, God, God is not like man right, from right. the book of Numbers, right? And people try and do that with God and love. It's it's the towering, it's the Mount Everest of his attributes. Well, I would argue that every one of his attributes are the Mount Everest of his character and nature. And the, the other thing, when you mention that, the other thing that comes to mind is a misunderstanding of what it means to say God is love, right? Like we have this concept or this idea that because God is love, he loves everyone unconditionally, no matter what. Like, it's almost like this universe. That's not what love is. That's certainly not what God's love is. It's a straw, straw man in God. Right. You're, it's a huge and gross mis- misrepresentation of God. Exactly. And you, when you talk about love, I and, and don't hear me say or don't hear us say that God doesn't love. I mean, of course he does, but there's there's a depth to understanding the love of God that we can't ignore. Um, the love of God, yes, he is a, a caring and tender and gracious and merciful God, but the other aspect of the love of God is that he is perfect and just and righteous and wrath like that's part of his love he he loves in such a way that he loves himself and he loves the sinner um or the the sinning saint enough to discipline him right yeah hebrews chapter 12 yeah and and again we understand this to some degree and lord willing we're gonna have to ask for grace and help disciplining our children you know soon um, but we we understand. I mean, I was disciplined by my parents, right? Well, well the idea behind uh, that is honestly that that flows out of the loving discipline that God will bring upon His children, His son or daughter in the faith. Uh, he, Hebrews twelve mm-hmm. uh, speaks on that. God disciplines, chastises those whom He loves, That's right? right? Um, and uh, that that is a loving beautiful thing as the lawnmower is pulling up right next to, <laughs> in, in the yard next to us here i don't i don't think that this that should be an issue real i hope not but real life i mean they need in, they need discipline over we are, there <laughs> we are in the thick of it if you guys don't think that we are we are laboring and toiling right now for the gospel even as our podcast is interrupted by the yard the, the, the lawnmower yard next door um, but we but we press on in Christ to pursue the greater good. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think what you were saying about <laughs> discipline is it's an important aspect to understand that that God's love is not hallmark. It's not just a careless, senseless, um, just emotional, like feel good love story. Like that's not what the love of God is. 
Um, it's certainly more than that. Um, and, and God's love, listen, God loves people. He has loved, he loved us with a love so strong and so, um, emphatic that he sent his son, right? Like for God so loved the world that he sent his son. That is, that is the love of God that compelled him to send the son. And it's the, the, the love of the son that compelled him to go to the cross. But the, the cross, while it's a picture of love, is also a picture of the other um, the other side, right? It's a picture of wrath. It's a picture of justice. And th- that is that is all captured in God's love himself because he he can't just, because of his nature, he can't just pour out love as if it's nothing and that be the only thing that happens. Does that make sense? Kind of what I'm what no, I'm trying to say there. Yeah, I, 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 no, I need you. I need no. you to. I got distracted by the lawnmower. Um, I don't know if it, we're what I'm trying to regroup. I'm trying to regroup in here, man. I'm so flustered uh. now. The grass particles <laughs> flying every. Anyways, yeah. Oh gosh. No, no. I think that was great. Um, again, well, I mean, we could continue to talk about the love of God from cover to cover of Scripture. Um, yeah, here it comes again. <laughs> You, I know everyone listening, guys, especially out with the lawnmower, understand making a straight path and yeah. wanting to cut the grass yeah. beautifully. That That is what's happening right next yeah. to the studio we're, we're as we it. speak. <laughs> we're watching it happen. Okay, uh, well, um, a, a couple things here before we wrap up this episode. Let's talk about a few resources. and mm. um, I think this would help uh, at least identify maybe even shorter reads yeah. in, in regards to... Um, kind of plummeting the depths of God's attributes. Obviously, we would start with Scripture. Uh, right. I think you know we've made that point clear. Tackling a systematic theology, yep. you know, obviously uh, would be a great place to run to. Which is one of the things that we did right in preparation for this, as we accumulated our massive collection of yeah. systematicians that we have learned to. <clears throat> lean on over the years sure. and we've spent time so those are great resources but yeah but there are even some smaller resources essentially by the same guys mm-hmm. where, where they kind of you know look, look into these areas a little bit more and maybe a little bit more uh, accessible mm-hmm. and not as daunting yeah and you not, could probably carry this thing around <laughs> right you could probably read it in, in a in a weekend without really batting an eye as opposed to lugging around a two volume set of uh, or the four-volume Reformed Dogmatics of Herman Bobby Inc. Like, that's going to take much more time yeah. to digest. But if you're looking for a couple of some of my favorites, I actually just got my hands on this one this week, thanks to my thanks to my good friend and podcast co-host yes. over here. He gave me um, a, a, a copy of The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. Uh, Pink, if you've not read any of his work, is outstanding. He's one of I my favorites. I think this book is in Steve Lawson's top five. It has to be. It's so I, I haven't gotten to read it all yet, but the pages I've read have just. I mean, it's been so hard to put down. In fact, probably if you had to ask me for the single most influential book in my life, it's another book by Pink called "The Sovereignty of God." Just dealing with that one attribute, incredibly valuable, incredibly rich in diving into that one attribute, which going to touch on others. Um, and then I, I've mentioned before the holiness of God. That is such a good one. That's by R.C. Sproul. If you've never read Sproul, Sproul is the... If you need to start with somebody to get you into systematic theology, Sproul might be the guy. He's your guy. So accessible. Um, yeah, so, so many good. resources. So many resources. What, what would you add to that list? Yeah, I think the one that I would put at the top of the list for me um, would be... Uh, 
Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. It's a real short book. I think it's, you know, maybe 110, 115 pages or so. Each little chapter, which which it's, again, the chapters are brief, three, four pages, maybe a chapter, but each chapter tackles a, an attribute of God. Mm. And Tozer's use of the English language to try and describe and draw out of what the Scripture teaches about God and His attributes was just, it was life-changing mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Life-changing. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, Lance, but all the authors that we mentioned are initials and then the last name, you know, maybe like T.J. Darty, if you could throw that guy into the list one day. Yeah. I don't, I've just I've just noticed that. A lot of good theologians are initials for their first name. I will I, never refer to you with anything else but T.J. now. Good. Thank you. Um, okay, is it time for the initiative? Let's wrap this thing up. Uh, talk about informants initiative, big takeaway. What, uh, what do you got for us? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we only, you know, tackled a couple attributes of God, but... Uh, the takeaway for me was to be balanced in your understanding of who God is. Mm. In other words, God's attributes themselves are balanced, right? God is a balanced God, and we need to make sure that our thinking and understanding of God is balanced. We mm. don't want to lean too heavily on one attribute and let that, you know, uh, let that supersede another attribute of God. We want to be well balanced in our study of God and our thinking of God and our understanding of God. That's good. Um, man, my takeaway. This sounds simple, but it's in a lot of ways there's some. It, it has some profound meaning to it. But that is just simply that God is God, and we aren't. Um, like God is God. The more I study the attributes of God, the more I consider His immutability, as we looked at His omniscience, His omnipotence, His uh, self-existence, or even the greater degree of His mercy. Like, okay, I'm a merciful guy. Well, it's I, I'm far shorter in my mercy than God is like his, his, the degree of his attributes and the extent and the comprehensibility of his attributes. And like you mentioned the fact that he is, um, he's so balanced, he's transcendent and eminent. He's, um, he's just, but merciful. All of these attributes just point to the fact that God is the God whom we worship. He is the one who deserves the glory, not me. And so my takeaway is just resting in the fact that God is indeed God and we aren't. That's good. Thanks. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, well, man, uh, we're going to bring out the weed eater soon. We need to get another episode (laughs) going. (laughs) Yeah, let's wrap this one up. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at R underscore informants. Yeah, if you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.